When, when life isn't necessarily happening the way you think it ought to happen. When life is nowhere like you envisioned it happening, how do you still have that mindset that, man, I am going to make today a beautiful day? It's the pursuit of happiness. It's something that we're all looking for. It's something that we're all striving for. I I think it's appropriate. It's Fourth of July weekend. We literally live in a country that was founded on life, Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Life, we got you covered. Liberty, we got you covered. Happiness, we can't promise you happiness, but we can promise you that you will live in a land where you can pursue happiness. The pursuit of happiness I mean, it's an amazing thing. Again, like life, promise, liberty, promise, happiness. Man, we promise you can pursue it. Best of luck finding it. But you'll be given every opportunity as you choose to pursue it. And most of us spend our lives looking for it. Most of us get up every day looking for it and we find it for a brief second and we grasp it and something doesn't go our way and we think we lose it. We look for our jobs for happiness. We look to our finances for happiness. We look to good times for happiness. We look to our spouses for happiness. Our friends. You name it. And people are looking to find happiness in it. Yet for whatever reason, it seems like we're some of the unhappiest people in the world. With everything we could ever want. And literally people are miserable. Get on Facebook for about... 1.3 seconds. And that's just how long it takes to load when you got slow canting internet. And you'll just see people are miserable. Because the problem is our happiness is dependent on other things. Scratch that. The problem is we allow our happiness to be dependent on other things. I mean, something as simple as the weather. I put on events for a living. I had a huge concert last night. Monday through Wednesday, it was 70% chance of rain all week. And it affected, I allowed it to affect my happiness. Thursday, I woke up and miraculously, the earth had moved and it was 0% chance of rain. Friday, it was 0% chance of rain. At 2 o'clock yesterday, as we're setting up, it was 0% chance of rain. For some reason, unbeknown to me, and my own stupidity, about 3.30, I decided to look at my phone and look at the weather. From 2 o'clock to 3.30, the weather had changed, and starting at 6.30, and we basically started the event at 7, 
from 7 till 10.30 was a 70% chance of not just rain, but the phone said severe thunderstorms. I allowed it to affect my happiness for a minute. You know the amazing thing is I allowed it to affect my happiness. It began to affect the happiness of everyone around me. I decided I wasn't going to look at my phone again. About 6 o'clock, I pulled my phone out just to get an idea of when the rain would be coming. We had half a million dollars worth of sound equipment on a stage that was going to get ruined. We had 3,000 people showing up. and Doing it in the rain is not the most fun. And in that two and a half hours, that 70% chance of rain had went to a 0% chance of rain. Welcome to Georgia. And suddenly I found my happiness back again. Had a pep in my step. I was happy. I was smiling. Everybody that I had made unhappy earlier, I'm going back to make them happy. I mean, something as stupid as the weather, we allow it to affect our happiness. People, things, circumstances. They dictate our mindset when it comes to having a beautiful day. I think that's what's so powerful about that song. The guy's lost it all, and he's talking about something as simple as the colors that God paints the landscape with, bringing him beauty, bringing him happiness. He chose for it to be a happy day. Based on the logic that we have when it comes to finding happiness, you would think the key to finding happiness in the Bible would be found in the happiest book in all the Bible. You would think the happiest book in all the Bible... Christine, what are you wearing out there on your head, girl? Are those red, white, and blue hearts on your head? Wow. Just go ahead and stand up and let everyone see that amazing fashion statement. That even made Grumpy Tom smile. Listen, based on that logic, you would think it'd be found in the happiest book in the Bible. I mean, as Paul is writing about being happy, I kind of picture him, because this is my happy place, a bubble bath. But maybe Paul wasn't a bubble bath guy. Maybe he's out in like a field of sunflowers, frolicking with unicorns as they fart out bubbles. I don't know what Paul's happy place was. But I imagine that is where he would write the portion of Scripture that talks about contentment and talks about joy and talks about happiness. But he actually wrote the book of Philippians in jail. Think about that for a minute, in jail. For about a 10-year period leading up to Paul's death, he was in and out of prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that. Taking a stand for Jesus had him in prison. <laughs> Scholars believe that when he wrote the book of Philippians, he'd probably been in prison about four years. There was no windows in this jail. There was no bed, no table, no chairs. Actually, they, they say that prison a jail back then would have been a deep cave side of a mountain with only an opening at the top for them to drop food down to him. No contact with the outside world. And ultimately, from being in this prison stint, Paul would go ahead and be beheaded, and he would die for standing for Christ. 
Yet it's in this environment that Paul wrote the book of Philippians to the church of Philippi. It's four short chapters. And it talks about rejoicing 11 times in those four chapters. It talks about joy five times in those four chapters. In a place, and I don't want to show a hands at Action Church because it might freak some of you out. But let's say it's safe to say many of you have spent at least a night behind bars, pastor included. A lot of places I've been that bring me joy behind bars is not one of them. Yet here he is in prison, and he's writing about joy. He's writing about contentment. Paul's getting up every day, and he's in prison. And he knows his life is about to end, but he's getting up every day. And make no mistake about it, happiness is a choice. He makes the choice to be happy. He makes the choice to look at it as a beautiful day. Just as the large majority of us get up every single day and we decide, we make the choice to be miserable. He starts in Philippians. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters. I love this part because he's writing to the church and he starts it off with the pleasantries. He says, I need you to know something. He says, let me set the record straight on something. He says, I know you've heard some things, but I want to set you straight. He said, I know you've probably heard some rumors. Because not that Christians would ever gossip. Not that there would ever be rumors. I like to actually start rumors at Action Church. Because I get bored. This week I decided, man, it's no secret our building is for sale. It has not sold, so there's no reason to freak out. Not that it matters if you can't pay rent, if it gets sold or not. But I decided, you know what, I'm going to go around and look at some open spaces some people have told me about. So just for fun, I'm driving into ball ground, and I take a picture of the Welcome to Ball Ground sign, and I post on there, looking for a home for Action Church. Boy, the rumors I heard. And they were quick. You guys like might have broke the record on that one. My DM, ding, ding, ding. My, t- ding, my phone was ringing. Are, are we going to be able to have, like, I actually heard that we were not going to be able to have church this Sunday because we had lost our building because it had sold. And I don't ever respond to any of them. I just throw the rumor out there and let them talk. The mayor of Ballground calls me. He said, you coming up here? I said, maybe. He said, well, come on. City council member in Canton called me. You leaving? I said, you ain't getting out that easy, not yet. He said, I want to set the record straight. He said, I know you've heard that I'm in prison and I'm awaiting execution, but let me speak on something. He said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, now what's happened to him? I mean, we know he's in prison, and that in and of itself is enough to be miserable. I have spent exactly 27 hours in jail, not prison, jail. I got arrested in Panama City Beach, urinating in a public payphone. When I was about 18 years old, I might have been intoxicated. 
I might have got in the jail cell and been drunk and been so loud that they handcuffed me to the handicap bar and left me there. And then they might have just released me in the middle of a hurricane and had to walk home and find my place. So I bet, I mean, that was a rough 27 hours. Like, that's the nastiest bologna sandwich I ever ate in my life. Don't get me wrong, I ate that joker. But it was nasty. And that's PCB jail. That wasn't prison. So Paul being in prison enough is enough to make you miserable. But Paul, you ever met someone and you're like, man, that joker has some bad luck? Man, Paul, look what he says. He says, this is what happened. He said, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. He said, I've worked harder. He said, I've been put in prison more. I've been whipped times without number. I've faced death and death again. He said, five different times, five times, the Jewish leaders gave him 39 lashes. He said, Gary, what's 39 lashes mean? It means they lashed him 39 times, Bible scholars. It's real complicated. He said, three times I was beaten with a rod. i got to clarify this action. One time I was stoned. Not like you're thinking. Not like some of you were last night or some of you are this morning. Not what that means. Let's just track here. That means they threw rocks at him. Once I was stoned. Now I can't find my place. Three times. Three times I was shipwrecked. I get shipwrecked one time, I ain't getting on the boat again. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at the sea. He said, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I, oh, man, you could preach on this. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. He said, I have faced danger in the cities and in the deserts and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim, who claim to be believers, but are not. I'm, man, I'll tell you what. I know where we're going in August. I'm preaching on this. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. He said, I have been hungry. I have been thirsty. I have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I had the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. I don't really need to break that down. Let me sum it up for you in the Greek. Paul went through the ringer. Paul went through some things. You think you've gone through some things, and I'm not minimizing what you have gone through, so let me make that very clear. But if there was anybody who could have walked away from the faith, if there was anybody who could have decided they were going to live their life like Eeyore and be down in the dumps about everything, it was Paul. There was anybody who had every reason to get up every day and instead of saying today is a beautiful day, they could have got up every day and said today sucks. It was Paul. But he said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, verse 12, has actually served to advance the gospel. He said, it sucked. I can't imagine it was fun being shipwrecked. I can't imagine it was fun getting 39 lashes. I can't imagine it was fun being hungry. I can't imagine, this is probably the most pain of them all, being hurt by those closest to you. 
He said, but at the end of the day, everything that happened to me advanced the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. He said, I I choose to get up and be happy. I choose to think myself happy. I choose to look at the good things in the midst of my chaos. He said, I want you to know some things have happened to me and it's okay. It's fine. He said, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the God. He said, it's become obvious to everyone here in the prison, man, I'm here for Jesus because I'm not griping about what I have to go through. I'm not complaining about what I have to go through. I'm not feeling sorry for myself because of what I have to go through. I'm not regurgitating my negativity on everyone else around me. I'm praising Jesus and everyone else in the palace guard. It's like, there's something different about this man. He said, not only is it impacting the, the palace guard, he said, everybody else, the other believers who got it not so bad compared to me, they're looking at me saying, man, if Paul can be bold, if Paul can have a beautiful day, if Paul can find happiness, if Paul can find joy, if Paul can find contentment in the midst of his circumstances, who are we? Not to do the same. There's power in this scripture. He said, I chose to be happy when he had every reason not to be happy. When life had thrown him curveball after curveball. So my question is, what is it that has you so miserable? What is your, and listen, listen, I'm not minimizing it, but I'm going to give you a reality check. What is your sob story today? That spouse you thought you were going to be married to forever is not around anymore. I, I know that hurts. Stand in line. Bless your heart. I'm not minimizing it, but it don't make you special. Kids, not doing what they should be doing. And I'm sorry, that sucks. I get it. Welcome to parenting. Life hasn't taken you where you thought you would go at the stage in life where you thought you would go. I'm sorry. That's rough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being funny. I'm not making I'm not mocking it. I'm saying I'm sorry, but when join the club, you're not special because you go through hard times. But Gary, you don't know my story, and you don't know my story, and you don't know his story, and you don't know her story, and you don't know their story. Life has a way if we allow it of beating everybody up, and your Pounding is no worse than anybody else's pounding. Those punches you took aren't any different than anyone else's punches. You've convinced yourself they are. But Gary, I'm in a financial mess and I literally (laughs) can't breathe. It sucks. It does. You're not the first one to be in that financial mess. And guess what? You're in it now. And there's no DeLorean to hop into to go back in time and get out of it. So you can sit and wallow in your self-pity. You can sit and wallow in the fact that you've made some poor choices. You can sit around and wallow in the fact that people have done you wrong. Or you can decide, man, I got the rest of my life to live and I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be a victor. I'm going to have the mindset that I can. I don't know what your circumstances that are, that are robbing you today. And please hear my heart. I'm not minimizing. I'm not saying that they're not real heartaches. I get it. 
But what I'm saying is I don't know what they are. I I don't know if they were self-induced or because of the carelessness of others. But I do know this. You can get up every day and have the mindset of it's going to be a beautiful day if you understand some things. You don't hear anything else I say. If you're going to take out your camera and take a picture of the screen, take a picture of this screenshot. Our happiness has nothing to do with what is happening to us, but has everything to do with what God is doing in us and through us. That mess that you're going through, it might not even mean God's plan for your life. You might have got off course, but God's going to take that mess and he's going to make a miracle out of it. If you allow him. That mess can be your greatest ministry. Or you can wallow in it. Or you can waste this amazing gift called life. How many of you are alive today? You're alive. Show hands. Show hands. Show hands. Show hands. You're alive. Right now, you're not dead. I didn't say how many of you look dead. I said how many of you are alive. I know a lot of you were at the mill last night. Some of you feel dead right now. But how many of you are alive? Show hands. All of you are alive. Guess what? You're alive. Think about how awesome that is today. You get to get up and have another shot at this amazing thing called life. And I sit back and I watch people waste life. Do you realize how spoiled we are in this nation? Man. We're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. I said, Gary, but you don't, listen, we're so rich that we go to the store and buy our water in bottles. And almost 30% of the world doesn't have clean drinking water. We're so rich that we have houses for our cars when over 70% of the world doesn't even own a car. We're so rich that our dogs have houses. We're blessed. Look to your right and look to your left. You've got people who love you and do life with you. You know my favorite thing about the events I do? I love doing them, but I like watching community have them. But I like watching you guys outside of here do life together. I always sit back and catch myself staring at it for a little while and thinking, man, we're blessed that we have good friends and people who love us and people that are there for us and people who support us. I get life's beating you up. That's called life. But you can choose to be happy in the midst of that. See, Paul couldn't change his circumstances. But he could change how he viewed his circumstances. And some of you simply need a mind shift. In the song today, these guys lost everything. It'd be really easy to get them and say, man, it's a sucky day. Don't have quite the same ring to it. I don't know that it would have won three Grammys. But instead he got up and said, man, it's a beautiful day. Look at the sky. Look at the colors. Look, look at the, just the little things that are in your view. It's a beautiful day because I choose to have my mind set on the fact that it's a beautiful day. Here's good news for you today. You don't have to wait for your bills to be paid to have happiness. 
Someone called me this week, and they were serious. They said, man, you good? I said, I'm good. Why? Well, I, I know you talked about the building, man. I didn't want, man, like, you stress we're going to lose? I ain't stressed we're going to lose it. But, but, but what if I said, we started in a parking lot. Like, you must think that this thing brings me happiness. I appreciate it. I'm thankful for it. Action Church ain't this building. Me and Sandra were talking out in the lobby. She goes, I'd hate to lose it. And I get it. Man, we've done some amazing, there's been life change in this building. There'll be life change wherever we go. We'll go meet in a bar for a little while if we've got to. I've already made that phone call. I have. I don't care. I, this doesn't, doesn't bring me happiness. We bring me happiness. Doing life together. You don't got to wait for your bills to be paid. You don't got to wait for that job offer to come in to be happy. Because what happens when that brings you happiness but it's taken away later on? Listen, I love my spouse. I love my wife. I don't depend on her to make me happy. Because there's some days she don't make me happy. Now, I always make her happy. She's just blessed like that. Listen, if you're waiting for your children to start acting right, to be happy, mm -mm. I don't need to have a nicer car to be happy. I don't got to wait for the house to sell to be happy. Christine and I were talking the other day, we're in the event business. That's what we do. When the economy gets bad, events go away. And I said, I'm a big, let's look at the worst case scenario. I said, worst case scenario, we sell this house. So we'll go buy a couple acres of land, put a camper on it. You say, you want to do that? No, I don't. But by God, I'll be happy doing it. Beats living out here in these woods. You can't change your circumstances, but you can change how you feel them. See, because your happiness is not determined by what's happening to you. <laughs> it's everything to do with what God's doing in you and through you. So, so what do we do? Real quick, and I want to get out of here. First thing we do when life sucks, we accept the process. We accept the process. You can't change it. You ain't got to like it. But the quicker you accept it, Instead of being angry about it, fighting about it, growing bitter about it, you accept it. One thing to me that's amazing about Paul is he's in freaking prison. He's just had his teeth kicked in if you go back and study out the timeline. Yet there's no whining, no feeling sorry for himself, no crying the blues. He understood the process of what God was trying to do in his life. He realized something that the church in America would do really, really good to realize. We have a mindset that we're not going to go through hard times. And the problem with that is the church is responsible for that. Go watch these preachers on TV. God loves you. 
God just wants everything to be great for you. Let me tell you a little joke today. And God just tickles my fancy sometimes. And it's so great that I'm out there in a field and the unicorns farted on me and they smelled like honey. And it was just fantastic as fairies blew out my butthole. And it was great. That ain't life. It ain't life. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Let me encourage you today. Life is going to suck sometimes. People are going to hurt you sometimes. People are going to let you down sometimes. Let me encourage you with this. You, I, we will suffer. Who are we to think that we're exempt from that? Man, church has become wealth and health equals happiness. There's going to be times you don't have any wealth. There's going to be times you don't have your health. And the last time I checked, a lot of the health problems you can't control. How's your dependent? God just wants you to prosper. If God just wanted us, first of all, God does want us to prosper. But we need to redefine what prosperity means. It doesn't always mean financial prosperity. And there will be times God will bless you financially. Matter of fact, back that up. Everyone here has financial prosperity. Maybe not by American standards, but again by world standards. But prosperity is peace. It's contentment. It's coming home and knowing you're home. I've come home and not felt like I was home before. It's being able to pick up the phone and know you've got people who will drop everything and come help you. It's looking around and knowing, man, guess what? I get to put food on my table. We've we got to redefine our... Jesus never wants you to be victimized. Well, man, you go tell that to everybody who's been hurt, molested, beaten, neglected, hated, despised, betrayed. Last time I checked, Jesus was a victim. They hung him on a cross. Man, we got to accept the process. Embrace it. Embrace the suck. Because it's in the suck that the lessons come. When I'm on the mountain, sometimes I'm a, most of the time, I'm way too arrogant to learn lessons. And that valley, though, well, when I ain't got nowhere to look but up, God begins to mold me. Relationship with Christ isn't all lollipops, cotton candy. There's heartbreak and heartache. We live in a country where the worst thing you can be is an evangelic Christian. You're public enemy number one. We're public enemy number one. A lot of that because we brought it on to ourselves being stupid about stupid issues. <laughs> Paul knew this. He accepted the process. There's only two chapters in the Bible where everything was good. And that was the first two chapters of Genesis. Then sin entered into the world. Woman messed it up for all of us. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a biblical argument for this too. Well, if Adam, Eve was the first woman ever made. I don't know what Eve looked like, but here's what I think. She was probably smoking hot. She's the first woman ever made. She was naked. And she told Adam to eat an apple. Adam's eating an apple. He was weak. He was a man. 
My wife walks in neck, and listen, my wife is beautiful. I don't mean any disrespect to my wife. But Eve was Eve. She's the first one. She's naked in a garden. And the birds are in the tree singing. And like a lion's next to them, like a kitty cat, and they're petting it. It's like heaven. And she's like, pa-da, 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 you know, and then she has an apple. And it's the reddest apple you've ever seen. And you know it's just amazing apple. Really, it doesn't matter if it's a rotten apple. Eve's telling you to eat it, and you're eating it. So it's woman's fault. So in Genesis chapter 2, up until that point, everything was good. Then a woman got naked, or was naked, and tried to get us to eat an apple, and we gave in. She's got to accept the process. That, by the way, that part of the sermon was free. Second thing we got to do. We've got to gain perspective in our suffering. You're going to suffer. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel of Christ. They say hindsight's 2020, but it's so true. Many times we can't see the good in a bad situation until we're out of that bad situation. Paul's sitting in jail, though, and he stops and he breathes, and he has nothing but time to evaluate what's going on. And he looks around, and he's like, man, this sucks, I'm in jail. But because I'm in jail, even though they don't have the gain perspective in your suffering point up there, this is what happens when Xander goes out of town. The whole, we can't even broadcast our service live when Xander's going out of town. Tanya's back there sleeping. The Tanya, I didn't put Tanya made to sleep on my sermon. It's so boring today. Paul's in jail, and he just looks around and begins to look at the good in the situation. Sucks I'm in here, but man, look at all the people getting bold about their faith. I, I've learned that if we'll take an honest look in the midst of our suffering, we'll begin to see the bigger picture. It's hard, because we want to wallow in it. We want to feel sorry for ourselves. What we normally do is we go find another negative person to feed into our negativity. Mm, that wasn't even in the notes. It was free today. Instead of going to someone who'll speak truth into our life. I've said this story a thousand times from this stage. But it's true. And I'm, I'm not trying to single them out. COVID hit. I'm in the event business. Everything's getting shut down. I'm freaking the hell out. Freaking out. David and Sierra take us. I'll never forget it. We go eat Mexican food at Viva La Mexico. We're sitting there. I'm so stressed out, I don't even have much of an appetite. I'm a fat boy. If I ain't got an appetite, I'm stressed out. And David's like, breathe. It'll be fine. I, I, I remember I, I was getting angry. But I didn't want to get angry in front of David. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm cussing him out of my mind. F you. Okay, CEO. Okay, Mr. Essential, your job's essential. I'm furious. We get in the car, driving home. I don't say anything because I don't want to talk bad about Dave in front of Christine, so I talk bad about Sierra instead. (laughs) No, I didn't. The next day I got up and was thinking about what they said. The tension went from about a 10 to about an 8. The next day it went from about an 8 to about a 6. I'm in the event business. Don't forget this. The world was shut down. When it was all said and done, I made more money putting on events when the world was shut down than I did any other year before that. 
They spoke truth into my life. They didn't let me wallow in it. They listened. They, they told me, you, you might have to pivot. You might have to come up with something new. They spoke truth. They didn't feed it. They didn't feed Oh, yeah, you're right. It's going to suck. It's going to suck. I'll never forget. He said, one, I don't know if he remembers this. It's the one thing that changed for me as a man because I want to provide for my family. He said, I can promise you on my life, you will not be homeless. He said, I'll make sure that weight came off of me. It ended up being a great year because I, I gained perspective in my suffering. In the midst of freaking out, I begin to evaluate. What's well, other things I can do? Man, we can add this, and we can do this, and we can do these illegal events, and we can put the black on the curtains, and we can sneak people in the back door. And we did, man. We packed this place out with illegal events, and it was amazing. Gain perspective, and he, that wasn't his encouragement, but gain perspective in your suffering. Third thing. So how do we do? We're going to set the process. We're going to gain perspective in our suffering. Number three, we're going to discover God's purpose. God has a purpose in your suffering. He's shaping you. He's molding you. He's preparing you. He's getting you ready to do his will because he don't give two rips about your will. Hmm. God has a purpose in our suffering. See, what you don't realize is Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. Rome was like the New York City of this day. To go to Rome and to preach the gospel meant you influenced the world. And it was his vision to go to Rome and preach. He wanted to preach Jesus to the Romans. And now he's in a Roman prison. He's preaching Jesus and has a captive audience, literally. He wanted to go preach to the normal people. And God said, I'm going to put you in prison where the guards can hear you, where the officials can hear you, where the influencers can hear what you're doing. Because of Paul's imprisonment, the the church begin to get bolder. So guess what? So Paul's in there preaching to the guards and the influencers. The Christians are out in the community preaching the gospel. And the gospel's spreading like wildfire throughout Rome because it was a group effort instead of a one-man effort. Look what he said. He said, because of my chains. Most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love knowing that I'm put here in defense of the gospel. He said, the former preach Christ... The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, so they can stir up trouble while I'm in change. What's the next verse? I can't read my notes. I'm getting too old. He said, but what does it matter? What's it matter? I don't care what their motives are. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He said, man, the gospel is being preached because I'm in prison. I like what he says. I'm not even worried about the world. The church wants to fight with each other. Here's what I always say. Are they preaching Christ? So I'm going to tell you a funny story. I heard about a church that bought a building this week. At one time, this church was massive, the church that had the building. So on their property is two buildings. One holds about 1,200. Another one holds about 600 people because it's the old church. It's in a great location. Church closed down years ago. Smaller church about our size went and bought the property. So now a church about our side is in this building that holds 1,200 people. 50,000 square feet. Amazing building. And good for them. They bought it. But on the other side of the property, they got a building that holds 600 people. So I'm thinking, I wonder if they'd rent me that building. Answer your question, they will not. 
Um, I call him, talking to the guy. I said, man, we could probably pay a lot of money. We pay a lot of money. I said, love to be able to use that building. One of the head people are like, how would that even work? I said, well, we would use the building. On the same property? Oh, yeah. You got plenty of parking. You run 200 people. This church used to run 3,000. I just don't understand how that would work. So I'm trying to be calm. I'm like, well, here's how it would work. You guys would show up on Sunday and go to the same building you always go to. And that building over there that's literally rotting away, we'd show up and use it. Huh? I said, man, can you imagine how awesome the community would talk about that situation? But it's two different churches. I said, who cares? Some to say we're not moving to that building yet. But I'm going to work on them. I'm going to beat them down. Paul said, I don't care. I was preaching Jesus. This guy wanted to break down like all this doctrine. He's like, where do y'all stand on speaking in tongues? And where do you stand on the end times? I said, we just stand on Jesus, man. Can we agree on that? Man, so narrow-minded. Paul said, I don't care. They're preaching Jesus. He was able to find happiness in his circumstances because instead of focusing on the problem, he was focusing on God's purpose. What's God's purpose in your suffering? What's God's purpose? So I had the conversation, and well, I got a little redneck. Hang on, lie. I told the guy, I said, well, here's the guy. I decided we're coming here. I said, so I'm going to find a building real close to here. And then I'm not going to like you, and I'm going to want to put you out of business. I didn't say, oh, that's what I was thinking. But I was saying, but if we were on the same property, man, we'd be on the same team. I'd be all for you. Like when people came here and thought we were too shallow, I'd be like, hey, man, let's go across the parking lot. It'd be easy. What's God's purpose? Last of all, I'm done. I'm hungry. We're going to realize that your suffering isn't permanent. Stop it. You say it's been going on for years. You know why? Because you allow it to. You allow it to. Shifting your mindset would change everything in your life. I dig how he closes this chapter out. He realizes the situation went permanent. Look what he says. He says, for me to live is Christ. He said, man, if I live, I'm going to carry out the gospel. He said, but if I die, guess what? I gain heaven. I win either way. This is temporary. For me to live is Christ. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I have the desire to part and be with Christ. Which is better, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convince us, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Your suffering is temporary. At the end of the day, if you have a physical ailment that lasts you for the rest of your life, it's temporary. Because this is but a blink of the eye right here. The Bible says this is but a vapor. See, the problem is the church has talked about heaven for so long, but none of us believe about heaven. I'm actually in this series, one of the songs we're going to do is where the streets have, and I'm going to preach to you the truth about heaven. Because I, I, I don't think we understand the greatness that God has created for us. We wouldn't fear death if we understood what God had created for us. He said, man, I gain everything. Your, your suffering isn't permanent. That heartache isn't permanent. 
That pain isn't her- permanent. We're going to accept the process. We're going to go through all these things. We're going to gain perspective in it. We're going to find God's purpose. We're going to realize it isn't permanent. So guess what? No matter what you're going through in life, you can have a beautiful day. If you choose. Or, or you can choose to be miserable. And here's what happens to miserable people. Everybody starts to cut them out of their life. And you'll die old and alone. My wife and I are surrounded by some miserable people. And we have, over the last year and a half, found ourselves, not even intentionally, separating from those people more and more. Because they're just miserable to be around. Nothing's great. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too dry, it's too wet. Everything makes them miserable. Who wants to be around that? Life sucks, but life can still be beautiful. Let's pray.